Uh, Pastor Ryan reached out to me on Monday evening, and I was so honored. And uh, obviously, this is a unique Sunday. We're going to talk about that. But all I can say is I'm really privileged to get to be with you today, and I pray that God's Word will really minister to your heart. You know, in times like this, uh, it doesn't matter, any time that we live, but in times like this especially, I think of pictures from the Word of God. You know, this is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. How many know sometimes it gets dark out there? And we need to know where are we going, you know, almost like a light, like with our phone that we use in, in pitch dark. It's, uh, Hebrews calls this book an anchor for our souls. I love that picture. And sometimes our little boat gets just tossed and turned in the sea, and we grab hold of that anchor and we hold. You know, this is a sword of the Holy Spirit. And there are times that we, we know we're in a spiritual battle. Every day of our lives, we're in a battle. But there are times especially that we feel we need to take, as Jesus did when the enemy in Matthew 4 came against him, he used the word of God against Satan himself. And so we hold it as a weapon. Jesus called it a seed. I love uh, Romans 15. says the word of God is an encouragement to us when we get tired in the journey. And how many know sometimes you get a little weary in the journey? Especially if we walked with God for very many years and all of a sudden we have those times. God's word, we turn to it. Old Testament, New Testament. The more uh, we, we just grow in our knowledge of it and, and God gives us encouragement and we need that today, obviously. Uh, I love Pastor Ryan, so honored to be here, and I've just enjoyed watching him and Ryan. I knew Ryan when he was young. Man, I can tell you stories. Why don't you line up right here after church? We'll talk about it, right? Uh, but to watch him grow and develop, and Amy, and their family. But I, I do want to underscore today to say, and this week especially in the passing of his father, of Randy, and a man that pastored this church for years. We were good friends in ministry. I was at Power Road. He was out here at Ellsworth. We'd meet for lunch occasionally over about a 20-year period. And I love this family. But, but Ryan and Amy, Pastor Ryan and Amy, to me, are a great example, though, of family DNA in ministry. We're a mom and a dad, the Lavinos uh, and, and the Viscontis. Kind of sounds scary, right? I got a mafia or something we got going on here, right? Uh, a, a good restaurant. But you know what? They are good. Spiritually, you are fed so well here. And they spread it. But you know, it's not just Pastor Amy and, and, and Pastor Ryan and Amy, but it's, it's really to see their parents, who I've known for years, both of them, we have old ties to Illinois and Kansas, and to see their kids grow up and doing the work they're doing, and it's kind of a family affair here. And how many of you know God gets the glory for all of it? Amen? And so we praise him today. But great to be with you, and I just want you to know they are doing well um, you know, our heart especially goes to dawn right now, and all week long we've carried this burden you have, I have, uh, those I work with downtown have, and we just, we love this family. But you know, they're doing fine. They're grieving, they're going to grieve, and I know you're praying, and I know you're going to pray, right? Amen. Keep them in prayer. This is a season that they enter into, and for all of us, it's just, um, it, it's a unique time. But they're doing well, they want to greet you, and so... Um, uh, we praise God for them. I have two young pastors I toggle between every Sunday. And uh, if you're a pastor, I, I pastor at a small uh, church right now in Fountain Hills that I'm the Sunday pastor because I have my full-time work with our, our whole state with pastors. But I, I began to speak there, and they asked me kind of to hang on, and so I, I've done that. So I'm over in Fountain Hills, and, and uh, you know every pastor has his routine. So for me, every Sunday morning... I either listen to Pastor Jeremy Yancey in Lufkin, Texas, 
where my middle son-in-law is the worship pastor, like Pastor Aaron here. By the way, are you blessed with your worship or what? Yeah. It is awesome in this house. I, oh, every time I'm here, I just love it. If I didn't travel, I wasn't ministering somewhere, I'd be here every single Sunday. But anyway, so he's there with Jeremy. You've heard Jeremy. He was here sometime in 2020. I know he came to minister, and a great friend, and, and we love them. And then the other guy is a guy named Pastor Ryan over in Mesa. And I'm in Mesa, but I'll get up and I'll listen to Ryan and I just get encouraged and, and kind of pumped. But it's gotten a little bit awkward for me in recent months because I used to be my parents' favorite pastor. Yeah. Uh, I used to be, I mean, I used to pastor their favorite church. I used to be their favorite Bible teacher. I used to be their favorite shepherd. And then came Generation Church. And they were here in the 9 o'clock service. I've been here now for months, and a bunch of friends of theirs. And there are many here that I pastored years ago. I know that attend here over the last four years that we've been back. But I tell you, I get sick and tired of hearing about Pastor Ryan, okay? <laughs> Let's just face it, you know. And last week was Pastor Amy. I mean, they, they just, you know, and so I'm just kidding. I love them, and I want you to know you're in great hands spiritually under their care. So it's great to be with you. Matter of fact, last week I... Um, I watched Amy's message entitled, What to Do When You Don't Get What You Want. And it was striking to me because I know that she meant every word she said last Sunday morning. And I know that Pastor Ryan and Amy and that family, Dawn, and all of them believed every word of it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as well. Because it's God's word. But I did as I prayed. I said, God, what, what do I bring to this church today? And I thought I'm going to give you kind of a part two, if you will. See, we all get stuck at times in, in our journey. For me, I, I work at 26th and Thomas, and again, it's with pastors and our churches all around the state, so we love Generation. To hear what God is doing here is, is always exciting, and so we prayed our Wednesday Devo prayer time. We especially prayed for you and for your leadership, and our hearts have just been heavy, and, um, and so just kind of uh, one of those weeks. But you know, bottom line is we get stuck sometimes but in the end, we need to turn to the anchor and the sword and the lamp and the light. We turn to God's word and he has something for us. So I want to give you a part two today. Basically, Amy's was what to do when you don't get what you want. And I want to speak to you today on what to do when God doesn't answer the way you want him to. Because how many of you know we pray and God answers? We often say he answers a lot of different ways, which we'll unpack a little bit, a little bit today. Over 25 years ago or so, I... Um, was down on Power Road, the church that we pastored there for 18 years, and it was early in our ministry there. I had a little one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old, and I called my wife, and I said something that she, she probably fainted when I said it, but I said, get the girls ready. I want to go to the mall, <laughs> and my five-year-old got the smelling salts and got mom revived, and we went to the mall. But three little girls, and we had a, a double stroller, I remember, and we had the single. I believe it was our own, but Whitney was about five then, but we were going to walk a long way. So I know we had her in either one, the big metal ones you rent or whatever. But I had the two strollers, went into a store. It was kind of one of those narrow stores, and I, I, I looked, and there were some women around the counter, and I said, oh, babe, you go on in, and I'll just, I'll just hang here. And we just kind of sat toward the front of the store and waited. Well, my daughter began to look, and she finally said, what is that? And I know what she's talking about. I looked, oh, it was a mannequin. I said, well, hey, it's a mannequin. And she said, well, what's it made of? I said, I, you know, I never even thought of, you ever thought about what a mannequin's made of? Something like plastic, you know, and I'm, we're talking about, you know. And, and so back and forth, had this conversation, and she started to go toward it, and she said, can I touch it? And I said, yeah, babe, you, you can touch that. And she started, and then she pulled back, 
And it was this really weird little five-year-old dance thing going. And I said, honey, do you want me to touch it? And she said, yeah, dad. So I went over, first time in my life, only time in my life. I, I went to touch a mannequin and I touched her right back here and I kind of pinched right there behind the, the upper thigh of a mannequin. And so I, I, I pinched and when I did, I felt flesh under the dress. And she went, woo, like that. And I ran about 10 feet, and I'm like, what is going on in the store? And this group of ladies, they just started laughing. And what they were doing is taking turns being the mannequins, you know, out front. And doing. And my little five-year-old was seeing her eye blink, and she's trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure it out. I am not that creepy, okay? Wow. I never touched another mannequin the rest of my life. Matter of fact, I've had nightmares about mannequins since that point. Every time we'd have a missionary in town, my little girls would say, Daddy, tell the mannequin story. They love the mannequin story. But you know what? She was real. She was real. And I want you to know, Don Visconti, Pastor Ryan and Amy, and Kyle and Kirsten over in Tempe, Pastor's wife, they're, the family, they're real. And they have needs just like you have needs. And you know, in a moment like this, I really felt like you guys need a real word from God this morning. How many of you are ready for something real from God, all right? Because we could talk pie in the sky. Why don't we get to the meat of God's word? So I'm gonna look at 2 Corinthians 12. I don't know if I referenced that yet or not, but if you have a handheld, you could go there. We're gonna read a portion, then we're gonna come back to it. In about three hours, we're gonna tie this up just before Super Bowl, right, begins. Verse two, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, quickly, it's interesting in Scripture. We know we see heaven. I went out last night and looked at the heavens. I love Arizona. Don't you love the sunsets and the beauty? And I look at that, and I declare what God says in his words uh, in, in Psalms, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So we see God, don't we, in the beauty that we live here, and you see in the mountains, everything. So we just, it declares there's a God. So we worship the creator, not the creation. You move up a little further, there's a, a realm of heaven, according to the Bible, that Elisha and his servant went out, and we read it in the book of Kings, and they looked up, and they saw these armies, and they saw a spiritual battle. Daniel, the same thing, he prayed, and then the archangel Michael came, and then said to him that, hey, and Gabriel said, and, and spoke, and explained that in that heavenly realm, there's some battle going on. You and I can't see that, but then Paul said, I was taken to the third heaven. So you have the earthly heaven, you have that spiritual warfare heaven, and you have the third heaven. And he says, I, I heard things I can't even describe to you. It was phenomenal. And Paul said, so much so, I could get really boastful and really proud about it, but I want to stay humble. And then he brings something really real for us this morning. Verse 7, to keep me from being coming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Disappointment has been described as something that God uses to really dim the lights of down here so that we lift our eyes and see him better up there. Life's full of disappointments. You know, I, a lot of people are gonna be disappointed at eight o'clock tonight, okay? Depends on how Tom Brady plays, Patrick Mahomes play, but a lot of people are gonna be disappointed. 
I was disappointed this week to hear that one of my, my oldest son-in-law down at Gilbert and Baseline got T-boned by a guy, came out of nowhere, and so it messed up the car. He's doing okay, and so I'm glad for that, but it was disappointing. And you know, every day that we live, people are going to disappoint us. That's just part of life. But when God disappoints us, that's when it gets tough. When you and I pray about something and, and we wrestle about it and it doesn't turn out the way that we want it to, that's when it can be really hard. See, it's hard to reconcile like for Paul here. It's very hard to reconcile that we know, Paul knew, God had the power to remove the thorn. He knew that. That's why he prayed three times about it. Like, come on, God. I'm sure after the second time, I can't believe I'm still praying for this. So I'll pray again, God. This will probably be the last time because God has all power. God can do anything. So when he doesn't come through for us when we pray, that can really be disheartening. It can be downright painful and frustrating and confusing, and that's where Paul was in this story. Paul lived an amazingly supernatural life. I mean, the guy was remarkable. I love Paul in Scripture. And he had this vision, and he, he, his whole life was just a power-packed life for God. But he had this vision, and, and he chose humility rather than becoming prideful about it. And, and then he believed that God had allowed some crazy things in his life. And look at the terminology. It's extreme. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan... And it tormented him. And if you enjoy Greek and enjoy kind of the study, you know some of these words. Tormented there literally means to beat with your fist. Or it means literally in, in the Greek, it, it, it's a, a, a mistreatment that's, that's violent. There's a, a violence to that Greek word. Why well, ask, why on earth would God allow one of his kids to get beat up violently by a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh? Beyond that, why would God allow that for who we might call today our big brother? I mean, Paul, the apostle, aside of Christ, when he went back to heaven, once Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, he changed the whole known world in that time. Why would God allow this? And I think there's three, simply three things here that we could unpack and bring to this moment. As well, some of you had a very hard 2020, and already for some now, I mean, think about it, for the Visconti family, what a... What a change 2020 brought into 2021. So three things I want to look at as we uh, turn to this. And, I, and I'll pause to say, honestly, as a pastor for now 37 years, I have been here many a time. I, I've many a time had to wrestle as I have. I mean, Monday night when, when, uh, when Ryan texted me, actually, Carl and I were sitting and, and we were just numb for a while. And my wife of 36 years, we, we sat, we talked about life, we talked about our three children and our, our six grandkids and, and just being here. It was pretty surreal. Can you imagine for, for family? But as we're sitting there and, and, and questioning, I realize I have, to, I have to sort through my feelings and then say, God, give me a good message for that wonderful church called Generation Church. And I am privileged in a few days to bring the word. I've done that so many times because that's what a pastor does because we're real and they're real. And so now we need to turn and to hear from God. So I've got three things this morning. I want to look at three questions from this text, and I want to look at three principles, or what we might refer to today as perspectives. The first question is, where's your power, God? I mean, where's your power? How many know God has all power? Jesus said, when we pray and we end the Lord's prayer, for thine is the kingdom, and yours is the power, 
and yours is the glory. We're not adding anything to God. God is all-powerful. It's all his baby. He made it. He can bring it home. He can wrap this thing up today. I mean, it's all, God is all-powerful. And that's what puts us in a real quandary then, in a moment where we have prayed, and we know God has the power, and then he chooses to not do what we've asked him to do. That can be a very disturbing thing. Matter of fact, the word there that he says, I prayed, literally means he called out or he begged. And he didn't do it once, he didn't do it twice, he did it three times. So what a, what a challenging moment it is for Paul when God doesn't come through. What does God say? Verse number nine, but he said to me, how many you know when you read the word but in scripture, it's never good? I mean, come on, let God, and God said, yes, Paul, I will do this. No, but, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not what you want to hear from God. Come on, God, you've got all power. Now you're going to bring in my weakness into your power? Let me just say something this morning. Sometimes God prefers endurance over deliverance. It, it's, just a, it's just a principle. Matter of fact, as we look at this this morning, this is like Christianity 101. This is like Bible 101 today. This is like faith 101, that sometimes rather than deliver us, God wants us to endure and, and to persevere. Matter of fact, this is where it gets so delicate because we have to face God's will, or rather our will versus God's sovereignty in, in moments like this. My will is framed by past, present, future. I know what I've had for now 58 years and what I hope for for the rest, and the truth is, None of us know tomorrow, do we? So we're very limited. And we frame a paradigm, a thought, the way we run our lives, the way we run our marriage, the way we run our kids, the way we run our finances, everything. And we've had this, and, this is, and it's my will, and this is what I do. And then there's God's will. And God's will comes from a perfect being that knows all. He can see the end from the beginning. He is a God of it all today. And so his will versus my will. My will is so limited and God's will is absolutely complete. And that's remarkable. It's a hard tension. So we come like Paul, we ask, and, and God answers the way he does. Then we have to choose to either do one of three things. Deny, refuse, or accept God's will and his purpose. You can deny some things only so long. Moments like this, there's no denying. This is the reality where we're at. But you can refuse. See, I'm not going to take this from you, God. And, and you can argue, and you can hold your ground, and you can get mad, and you can become bitter, and all kinds of things. And then in the end, sooner or later, finally you relent, but then you've paid a, a pretty big price. Or we can accept God's will and purpose. That's what Paul did here. And, and, and that's what leads us then to, obviously, to greater life. See, we can still have to question God, why? Why God? Why me, God? Why us, God? Why this, God? And we can be there, but in the end, the reality is perspective number one. If our dis disappointments with God are seen in light of his sovereignty, then we can be confident that truly all things work together for our good. Romans 8, 28. Amy ended with this verse last Sunday. 
I watched it. And it's, it's powerful. Matter of fact, the Passion translation is, is so beautiful. Look at it. This is what she read at the end of her sermon. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Boy, that's good, isn't it? That's God's word. Amen. And it was true Sunday, and it was still true Monday, and it's true Tuesday. See, when we we look at this, I think about Amy sharing it last week. She talked about her and Ryan, some of what they've gone through and some of their thorns and their flesh. And she talked about not God removing it, but God having them endure through it and and then getting the, the bigger picture. Monday morning last week, before really this happened, I, I was on a, a FaceTime with, with someone who's about Ryan's age, and he's a pastor now that is out of state, and God brought me, we intersected lives about a year ago, phenomenal young man, great lead pastor, I believe three children, and, and a wonderful guy. If I told you today their story, which I have told him, someday you're going to tell your story publicly, but if I told you him and his wife's story, there'd be Kleenex pulling out of purses in this room. It's It's brutal. It's unbelievable. In ministry, what they went through as a pastor and his wife, those precious kids. But you know what? They've gained the big picture. So Amy was saying it last Sunday. I'm convinced. NIV, we know all things work together for good because God is working it according to his purpose because we love God. Amy confessed that Sunday morning, and I guarantee you they held to that Monday night because we hold to the word of God. It's an anchor. It's our lamp. It's our sword. Praise God. God's answer to Paul's question brings us to um, another subject, and that's question number two. Where's your grace, God? Where's your grace? You know, grace is an incredible thing. Grace, I call grace the divine enabler. God's grace are his gifts that, as songs will say of the past old hymns, he bestoweth upon us his grace. Grace is God's goodness for us. And his response to Paul, he brings up power, he brings up grace. Where's your power, God? He says, oh, it's there. Where's your grace, God? Oh, he said it's there. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See, God's grace takes hold of his power and infuses it and blesses you and takes care of you and me and helps us. See, sometimes... God prefers sometimes endurance over deliverance, I said. But God always prefers our dependence upon him over us relying on ourselves. So remove every obstacle. Answer every prayer I have, God. If we live that kind of a life, we'll live very differently and we won't rely upon God. Or we'll picture God as a big vending machine and we come to him and we pop in our verse and we pull the lever and it comes out just what we want every single time and everything is hunky-dory for me and everything's working together for good because I get everything that I want. That's not what grace is for. God's grace responds to human need. See, where there's a need, there's grace. There's saving grace, we call it. And that was a, a slave trader a few hundred years ago, which meant he was, he was filth of the earth, to be honest with you. And he made a lucrative money exchanging slaves, running them in ships all around the globe. 
But one day, God got a hold of his heart, and he got saved. He gave his heart to Jesus. And he felt so filthy and then so clean. And one day, he penned the words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's saving grace. There's restoring grace of a marriage that's broken, of lives that are broken, of people that have all kinds of frailty and and situations, and they hang on to God, and God restores their lives, restores the marriage, restores whatever the need is. There's a keeping grace, because all of us here tend to kind of wander away and sometimes go back to our old patterns and things, but there's something about God's grace that keeps us even through moments like that. There is sustaining grace that carries us when we've lost And God is there and he sustains us. See, we think it's a lot easier if we could just be less dependent. We're always fighting to be independent. And we're Americans. We're so stinking blessed. So really, we don't like to rely on anybody. We just really, there's something about that self-determination. I understand it. And there's some good to that. But you know what? We can never get away from needing God. I don't care where we're at. It's really interesting. The picture he uses over and over again in Scripture is that we are like sheep. How many know that's not a big compliment? Okay. I heard Pastor Ryan unpack that. Just I don't remember the series, but it seems like it's been within a year ago talking about sheep. They're not the brightest bulb in the animal kingdom, okay? And, and over and over again, Scripture, you know why? Because we like sheep wander away. And we like sheep have to have our shepherd. We have to have the Lord. But there's something in us always wanting to get away from that, that dependence. When the reality is, it's like God makes us weak so that he can then make us strong. And he does it over and over again. I'm sure there are amazing stories in this room today. I, I, I'm just sure. You could tell, oh, here's one of the weakest moments of my life. Oh, God was there and he brought me through. And that's just, that's just our life. I, I'm reading the Exodus right now in my Bible reading. I'm almost through. And then I get to Leviticus. And then I'll get on past Leviticus, all right? But I read through the Bible every year. And oh, I love Exodus, though. It's so amazing. But you know what God did over and over again? He made them weak. So they would turn to him. And then he would make them strong. And his grace was there to meet the needs they had. They get out of, out of Egypt. They don't have any water. You've got two and a half million people, cattle and sheep and and whatever, donkeys, and they don't have any water. And so they cry out to Moses and they complain. And what did God do? Hey, go to that rock and take your staff and hit the rock. And here comes water for two and a half million people. How many of you know God has all power? It's an amazing, it's an amazing ride. They don't have any food. God says, no problem. But remember, he said, I'm going to test them, Moses, because I'm going to give them enough food for every day they live. Just enough for that day. They can't take extra. They can't pack it away in a nice little Ziploc in their tent. They can't, they've got to just take enough. And they learned every day. Check this out. 40 years they lived on manna every morning. It's like Circle K in your backyard right there. And they just went out to bashes. And they took what they needed and just enough because anything else would grow maggots and it would get gross or whatever. And God tested and some of them didn't obey, but they learned to rely on God every single day. And Jesus said, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. That's, that's centuries, millenniums later. 
that Jesus taught us to pray. How should you and I approach every day right now? God, today, give me what I need for today. There's a whole lesson in that, but God, that we can unpack. God wants us to rely upon him. And so they did, and that's what God expected. Here's the perspective, number two. If we stay dependent upon God, whatever it is that he allows us to go through will always bring us to a weakness that he can then infuse with his grace. And that is true all along the journey of life. That's why there's so much suffering in the church. That's why Peter wrote 1 Peter, five chapters, phenomenal book, and the theme is suffering. That's why James said in in James chapter one, verse number two, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. It's why Jesus said, in this world, you are going to have hard times. See, a lot of people kind of think the Christian life is, hey, I'll give my life to Jesus, I'll follow Jesus, and it will be easy street for me the rest of my life, and then I'll go to heaven. But instead, we find out, wait a minute, I came to Jesus, he gave me life, my sins are forgiven, I know I have eternal life, and I'm going through trials. What are you doing, God? You've got all power, I just thought you'd deliver me out of, and he does, but sometimes he allows us to go through differently than we would have would have expected. It's almost as if we might welcome problems. We might say, hey, when I'm in need, I know that God's eyes on me. When, when I'm weak, then I'm going to become strong. So really, we could ask a third question of this text, and then Paul gives us the answer. God, what do you want, me, want from me now then? God, where, where do I go from here Once you've said, my grace is sufficient, my power will be infused in you. See, I'm convinced that if Paul could have written a longer letter. See, Paul would be in prison typically, and he's shouting up to a guy, and he's dictating, or the guy's sitting right beside him, and he's dictating. They tell them this. He, He didn't fill in a lot. We have to read between the lines a little bit as we're reading scripture. And I'm convinced Paul did not spend 10 minutes in prayer, three times asking God, and it was over. I bet you this lasted weeks, maybe even months, that he had something tormenting, afflicting him, and he prayed, and he sought God, and then he did it again, and then he called out a third time. I'm convinced you've got to read through the lines a little bit, but it's interesting where we left off. Let's pick up as we bring it to a conclusion this morning. Verse number nine again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, By the way, anytime you're reading scripture, you read, therefore, back up, read where you came from. We just came from, I went to heaven. I saw it all. I I don't want to be proud. God uh, gave me something to keep me humble. I said, please get rid of it, God. He said, that's okay. You can hang in there. My grace is going to get you through it. All of that. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christianity 101. Do you hear the joy in this guy? I delight in being persecuted. Some would call that mental illness. It's nuts, but not to Paul. Hey, I'm going to delight in my insults. I'm not going to care what they say about me. I'm going to delight in in, in my weakness. Why? Because he says, I'm learning 
that God's grace is sufficient for me. That God will always be there, and no matter what I go through, rather than question him, I'll ask him, I'll give it to him, and I'll say, God, you're sovereign. Does this make sense to you this morning, this afternoon? It's a way to live our lives, that we trust God even in the midst of these things, of insults and hardships and weaknesses and persecutions and difficulties. Hey, I'll be glad, I'll boast, I will rejoice in these things. Perspective number three. The most freeing response we can offer to God in our suffering is one of total abandoned faith. That's what Paul is telling us here. It's a way to respond when we offer to God, especially in our suffering. Isabel Kuhn said years ago in a writing, she said, God always or never wastes suffering. He always brings a harvest out of it. That no matter what we go through in our lives, we don't see it now, but God sees it in the future. And so then one day we can look back and go, wow, I suffered through that. Wow, that was a a tough season. Oh, I wish that. But you know what? God got me through and God worked in my life. So here's the perspective that we need to take. This perspective is when we depend on God's power to endure, we find a freedom to embrace whatever suffering life brings as yet another moment then of of faith. See, where there's need, there's grace. Where there's suffering, it's where we hold to our faith. That's where the message is real this morning. It's not easy, but we hold to our faith. We hold to our faith. The Passion Bible, again, I love some of the translation. This passage says this, so I am not defeated by my weakness, but I'm delighted For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded by troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Jesus, for Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal for God's power. See, had God removed the trial, he could never write this. Had God answered every prayer that he asked, he could never say this. But instead, Paul is learning the grace of God, the power of God, even amongst the circumstances. And you'll note, in that empowerment that God gave him, he became freer. Bring it on, life. Bring it on, Satan. You can torment me all you want. God's grace is sufficient for me. And I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it through. Now, there's an end objective And we need to get there, obviously. This is where we see God's purpose and plan. And I'm about to say something, quite honestly. This is probably the most important thing that I could say to you as a church today. And that is that faith isn't just for the journey, but it's also for the arrival. That's something we miss a lot. Faith is for this life journey, and our faith becomes sight one day. And that's incredible. God doesn't just want you to have faith, you know, to endure. He does. But not just that. He also wants your faith to enter into his presence eternally one day. And what a moment that will be. Where'd all this start? It started, hey, I went to heaven. Paul said, I went there. I can't even tell you you, what I heard. I want to say, Paul, tell me what you saw. But he's saying, I can't even tell you what I heard. It was so, it's inexpressible. Heaven is so amazing. You know what's interesting? The Bible is full of heaven. It talks about heaven all the time. It, it describes heaven to us. 
If you want, read the book of Revelation, especially chapters four and five. He gives you just a glimpse of what Paul would have saw, what it was seen, and would have heard that on that occasion. It, 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 it talks about heaven, how to get to heaven. It tells you and I to want to go to heaven, to prepare ourselves for heaven. And then we start talking about going to heaven, and oh, we don't want to go to heaven. We love life too much, of course. But heaven is wonderful. And it's not just a pie in the sky. No, no. Paul said, I'd be boastful if I told you what I saw. It's so wonderful. See, earlier in 2 Corinthians, about seven chapters earlier, Paul put it this way, and I'll close here in just a moment. He said, we are convinced that even if these bodies we live in are folded up at death like tents. You ever folded a tent? Right? Collapse it. Fold it. Get out the little bag. Shove it back in the bag. Our lives, it's like we just fold up these bodies. We will still have a God-built home that no human hands have built, which will last forever in the heavenly realm. So while living in this tent, we groan under its burden, not because we want to die, but because we want these new bodies. We crave for all that is mortal to be swallowed up by eternal life. And this is no empty hope, for God himself is the one who has prepared us for this wonderful destiny. Friends, Randy is there. He's ran the race of faith, and he's there. Praise God today for that. That's incredible. And the reality is, as I close, reality is, honestly, that the best thing Pastor Ryan and Amy can do, the best thing that Pastor Aaron and Rachel and others can do, the best thing that this whole team and leadership can do, the best thing you can do as the church called Generation Church in East Mesa is to get people ready to go to heaven. That's it. There's a lot of other things we do. Get on that motorcycle and ride and fellowship. I love that. That's cool. I love the groups you guys have. I love all that, but I tell you what, if it's not bringing people to Jesus, getting them ready for heaven, that's not the most important thing. But you need to be preparing everyone you know for Randy's moment last Monday afternoon because Randy was ready, and you need to help get others ready. Naturally, my question as we close today is, are you ready? Are you ready? Dawn texted me a sweet text after the last service because Dawn's ready. I bet she's ready right now. She's crawling probably to get to heaven to get to see Randy again. That'll grow and that'll be part of grief and the whole process. But I'm telling you, we don't have to worry about Randy today. We grieve for ourselves. But you know the heart of the Visconti family? It's to get more people where Randy's at. That's their heart. That's what this church is for. Are you ready? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I'm going to close with a prayer. Worship team's going to come in just a moment and lead us in a closing song. But seriously, would you bow your heads? i got to ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Say, don't play that game with me. That's like a guilt trip. That's like, oh, no, no, no. See, I've been here too many Sundays and Monday rolled around. I don't know tomorrow. My own life, your life, we just don't know. But we need to know Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only 
Son, whoever believes in him will not die, will not perish, but will have everlasting, eternal life. That's what this is about, friends. And if you're here today and you say, I've been playing games with God, I'm living my life, I don't want to be dependent, but all of a sudden it hits you. Your eternal destiny is at stake right now. And for you to be ready, because you don't know. But God wants you to be saved. He wants you to live your life of faith for him the same way Randy did all the way from now to the day that you go. And we don't know when it'll be, but bottom line is we all need Jesus in this room. There are people here right now, you're contemplating this thing. God, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. I don't want to. My goodness, God loves you. He just says, come to him. You're going to find wonderful life when you open your heart to Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful. Can we pray a prayer? If you say today, I want God to forgive me of my sins, come into my heart. It might be a recommitment of your life, first time in your life. I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me. And I'm actually going to ask all of us to pray out loud together. Would you just say these words? It's just modeled right out of Scripture. Let's just say this together. Say, oh God, I know that I've sinned. I don't have all the answers, but I'm trusting your word that tells me you gave your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and to die for the sins of man. I've sinned. I've lived my own life. I've ran from you. But now I come to you and ask for mercy. God, please forgive me. Cleanse my life. Change me from the inside out. I believe in Jesus. Help me to know you better and to serve you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.